my god, you posted that? Deleted. I feel so attacked right now. Don't, Don't act me like, like that. that. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Don't At Me. I'm your host, Michaela Copeland, and I'm ready to dissect, discuss, and dab on the haters when it comes to social media. Special thanks to Swinburne University, as this will also be airing on Swin Radio every Tuesday. Your girl is now getting the hang of this podcast thing and the promotional side. As I said, we do have a Facebook and Insta if you type in Don't At Me Podcast, and you'll find some shady and spicy original memes. Also, my eternal love is still up for grabs if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Remember, I'm also offering an in-depth shout out. I will also shout out your mum for making such a wonderful human. That's how serious I am. But now onto the episode, Influencers Part 2. There was just so much content that I need to split it up. I've already covered what an influencer is, the benefits, the drawbacks, and some tips I found from the influencer profiles themselves. But today, we're going to go into how to become an influencer on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. But you may be thinking, where's YouTube? Bruh, that platform is so broad that it needs a whole episode on it. Specifically, after I go to VidCon Australia late in September. I'm excited for that one. I really want to see a few of the creators, like I'm going to meet the Try Guys. That is something that I'm so looking forward to. But apart from giving you tips on those platforms today, we're going to be looking into the psychological effects of being a full-time influencer. You'll hear from the experts, the influencers themselves, as I reached out to a bunch via my last episode to answer some questions. And we also performed an influencer marketing experiment last episode, so I've got the results now. So from a communication point of view, many influencers were engaged with the first email offering them the promotion, but many did drop off once I emailed back with the episode they featured in and tagged them in an Insta post. Some liked it, but I found this really intriguing as I thought they'd be super excited, especially when like I followed up being like, hey, you're there, but most of them actually didn't even go like, thanks. There are some others who obviously are still involved in this episode, so shout out to all of them for being really good sports and collaborating with me. But what was I actually featured in? So I was in a few stories, around five or six, I think. But what did this promotion bring? So I went from 70 streams to 182 streams. That's like more than double. That is absolutely amazing. Um, A huge jump there. I also last week had an estimated audience of 68 and now it's up to 90. So that's really nice. I'm really happy with that. And Spotify followers didn't see a huge jump, just 12 to 15, which I found insightful as Spotify is like my biggest streaming platform. And onto social now, we've started from the bottom, zero followers. Now we're here, 55 in like a week. And I'll be focusing more on networking around Instagram this week, I think. Um, I'm going to look into following a few more influencers, looking at some hashtags I can use, listening to more podcasts that I found on Instagram. It's going to be like the whole shebang. And also Facebook went from 67 likes to 99 likes. So unsatisfying sitting on that 99, but nearly 100 likes in two weeks is pretty good. So I'm pumped for all those stats to grow and to keep creating quality content for you guys. So there you have it. Influencer marketing really did work. I don't think I can attribute all the increases to it, but influencer marketing on Insta definitely contributed to the overall marketing and my happiness, of course. 
Since we're on the topic, let's continue with Instagram, a visual profile that has connotations of the Kardashians sliding in the DMs and accidentally double tapping a picture of your partner's ex. But what if you'd like to make a full-time gig of it? Luckily, you've got a social guru ready to give you a few tips featuring the stories of real-life influencers. Firstly, what attracts people to become an influencer? I'm going to say it's the freedom of expression. My first tip is that if you're going to start, you're going to need a unique selling point as you essentially become a product. Whether that's blogging about bread, singing songs about dolphins, creating footballs out of Legos, I don't know, the weirder, the more niche, the better. But that's because that's what makes you interesting. And once you have that, other benefits follow. At Renee Cara, 26-year-old Melbourneian makeup artist, was wearing bold eye looks to a corporate job until she found the flexibility of the influencer lifestyle. And at Elegance of She, agreed on this flexibility where you can choose your hours and the content you post. However, at Isabella Linden was drawn to the industry due to the creative freedom and the opportunities to broaden her photography, editing and styling skills. This is a really good note as you can put these skills on your resume if you decide to leave the industry or find a side job. Whereas at Anisha Alice and at Amelia Mastrap, love the idea of creating like-minded supportive communities and influencing change with their profiles. My second tip is... Decide what you want to share about your private life early on. Two of the most popular posts from the influencers I interviewed had a personal story behind it. At Renee Cara posted with her boyfriend and at Elegance of She shared some memories with her dad. So there are benefits to sharing your relationships, but you need to write down a list of your boundaries because one way to lose followers is to go from transparent to so guarded. If you're sharing your relationship all over your profile and then suddenly break up, people will demand an explanation. Do they deserve it? Probably not. It's not their relationship, but we're all nosy creatures and you've already involved them so much that people will wonder why they've just suddenly disappeared from your profile. So decide these tricky moments of sharing early on. So now that you've identified a unique selling point, you've sorted out your private life sharing, now what? You're ready to make the big bucks, aren't you? But no one's biting. That's because at Emily Jane Davies UK says that when you're starting out as an influencer, it's hard to get collaborations as there are quite a lot of brands that require you to have a certain amount of following and a certain amount of likes. So how do you combat that? With my third tip, networking. Not just digitally, but physically as well. I want you to know the industry top dogs, the small dogs, the middle-sized dogs, the hot dogs, all of them, right? At Emily Jane Davis UK, join an influencer agency at influencers.co.uk. And since she joined, she's seen her following boom. And that's mainly because they've also given her professional advice of how to grow as a person and grow her profile content. After you network, opportunities will be knocking at your door. At Amelia Mastrap, a small influencer with just shy of 4K plus followers, has had collabs of Pop Cherry and The Fifth Watches and has been to events such as the new TGI Fridays in Adelaide opening or to test the new holes at Holy Moly. Small but humbling opportunities. And at Caitlin Robinson, like me, studies social media and marketing at university. So she finds that people take her a lot more seriously in regards to work in that field when they find out that she has a following and also has the knowledge and capability to build an engaged audience. So if you're serious, I highly recommend the social media course to my university. Hashtag not sponsored there. My fourth and last tip is just be real. Mackenzie from at currently loving blog has perfectly summed this up in an explanation of her most popular posts. 
So on my Instagram, one of my most popular posts was about me not fitting in at the Dalesford Polo. I think people would have resonated with that. I think most of us like to put across this facade that we feel comfortable at these higher end events. And a lot of the time we don't. So it's nice to see an influencer talk about that. And I think people would have enjoyed that. Um, as for my blog, uh, one of my most popular posts was actually about me failing my law exam or mid-years and a lot of people were going through it at the same time I believe I hadn't experienced failure to that extent before um, or yeah struggled to that extent with study and things like that before so I think it was an important message to share and inspiring in many ways. Now, the Instagram content was pretty heavy there, as that's where the influencers hang out. It's like the watering hole. But let's go to a more professional place. Pride Rock, if you will. What am I talking about? LinkedIn, of course. I'm going to be the first to admit that by nature, LinkedIn, it's a little bit wanky, all right? People are constantly bragging about their work and their job, but it isn't that dissimilar to Instagram. They're just like bragging suits, not bikinis. And it's an older demographic. So most of my friends aren't on LinkedIn because their job doesn't require them to or they don't know what to post. So let's look at what the big boys on Instagram are doing to be classified as corporate influencers. As I'm in the tech field, someone who I regularly see pop up in my newsfeed is a girl called Bridget. I'm going to butcher this. Hyacinth. H-Y-A-C-I-N-T-H. And I'm going to analyze some great things she does on her profile to help you build yours. I picked her as she's got an unbelievable rate of engagement on LinkedIn. I'm talking like over 10K likes on like each post. And that's very unheard of as most people who use LinkedIn, they just use it as like a digital resume and they abandon it once they have a job. But she tells captivating stories in her posts that gets people engaged. And granted, I'm not her target demographic, her demographic are an older corporate generation who love like inspirational quotes and like are looking to be motivated. However, the storytelling aspect is universal and it just draws everyone in, especially if you have a catchy first line like one of hers, which is I was rejected over 200 times before I landed my first job. I also love the fact that she is a gun at writing articles with value. Providing value on LinkedIn is vital as it's a platform where people are looking for self-improvement. Write posts with tips, think outside the box with your posts and build other people up. She regularly provides others with opportunities to network on her posts by simply commenting their industry and if they're looking for a job or just to network. Giving back is so important when you've got a large following. Now, I don't have any tips for making money on LinkedIn because essentially the main way to do that is for it to lead to a job. That's its purpose. But I'm sure there are sponsored posts. I just don't really see them. It's more of an organic word of mouth on LinkedIn, I'd say. People are more than happy to promote a coffee shop they're like hot desking at or a book that they've read just for the sake of content. So if you're looking to develop professionally and be an influencer in your industry, then LinkedIn is for you. But if you're looking for like free watches and business class flights, then you probably won't find it on LinkedIn. You know, I nearly forgot about Twitter. Not because I don't use it. I mean, I do mainly for work, but there's just so much information on Twitter that become lost. So it's not my favorite platform, but regardless, it also hosts influencers. I feel like many influencers in our generation who are on Twitter are there because they're originally big on another platform, like they're on YouTube and they've got to have a, like a Twitter for the YouTube, or they're just like meme accounts. But wait, there is a third category. Average people who either tweet or are included in a tweet that just blows up and their life is changed forever. Anyone remember Alex from Target? 
A girl tweeted about an attractive boy as her target cashier in 2014 and then tween Tinder went into like overdrive with their like puberty hormones trying to determine and find out who this guy was. Then he was on Allen and received like copious amounts of attention for his like somewhat regular job. Fast forward to 2019 and this guy is nowhere to be found. What he left behind is a 505k following on Twitter and a YouTube channel. Alex had a rough time in the spotlight. The whole story is on chartattack.com, but basically his social media manager stole around 30k from him and then he was afraid to leave the house because of his stardom and then others kept like claiming credit for his fame and in the end he said that the influencer life is just too risky to maintain as a permanent and only career and instead he wants to go back and train to be an EMT and that's the last like I really find of him. But I still wanted to go through his old profile to see how someone who essentially didn't have a claim to fame, like they weren't professional makeup artists, they weren't a musician, they were just a normal person, how they maintained such a big following even after like their five minutes of fame, I guess was up. Well, what I took from his profile is to keep the fans engaged. You have to engage, okay? As his primary audience of teenage girls, I've been there. I know that a like, a retweet, a reply, a shout out from your idol is like the best day of your life no exaggeration until you become like harry styles level heartthrob just aim to like tweet five people per day and like ask about their expertise people love talking about themselves so like you're bound to make a few friends that way as well another tip about twitter is to use their cool features the polls on twitter stand out so much in the news feed and can be used for like the most randomest of topics like will kim kardashian's bum lose a chunk of its network if insta likes are removed yes or no hard one really but Twitter also has GIFing capabilities. Yes, GIF. I'm not saying the other forbidden way, starting with J. GIF is ingrained in me, all right? But it's also not ingrained to Facebook or Instagram. Facebook treats them like a video and Insta just uses a screen cap. Annoying if you ask me. But you can GIF away on Twitter. Creating your own reaction GIFs from like your own face or someone else's face you're obsessed with with like a watermark on your profile is like such a good idea too because it'll divert traffic back to your profile. And you can also repeat the same concept with memes and you'll be big in no time. Tumblr, Tumblr, Tumblr. This may seem like an odd one to put in this episode, but let's be real, it's dying, all right? Removing nudie pics was like the last straw to its demise, but I have a fantastic first-hand story that I just needed to include, right? Tumblr is the reason why I am here right now, right? wasn't my mum who gave birth to me. I'm here right now because of Tumblr, Okay. The reason behind why I study social media and why I now work as a social media coordinator is because of Tumblr. It all started when I was 14. I wanted to get over a boy and the best way to do that is to get under another boy. No, um, it's to get a hobby. So I started Tumblr about like the greatest band of all time, One Direction. My one and only true loves. Shout out to mum for not putting parental restrictions or time restrictions on my internet or I would have not been able to create this, um, let's call it an empire. First, let me say teenage girls are so productive when they get obsessed with something. In a recent article in Rolling Stone, Harry Styles explained why his teenage girl audience shouldn't be dismissed or overlooked as gullible. Quote, they're the ones who know what they're talking about. The people who listen obsessively, they fucking own this shit. They're running it. That's what he said, everyone. You heard it here first. We fucking own this shit. And that was me, an Aussie girl determined to be recognized by these UK boys via a blog where I pretty much like documented their whole bloody life. Very intimidating, but 14-year-old me thought it was like a foolproof plan for them to fall in love with me. So I built my blog from scratch. 
I made some friends. I sucked up to like the big boys with huge follower accounts and I went on every single day. I made funny posts until my following was up to 35k plus. Then I built on my skills. I taught myself HTML. I'd give people like love advice. I don't know what I was talking about. Like at 14, I think I had like maybe one boyfriend that lasts for a month at that point. You know, I had like no experience, but I was like, here, just take all my advice. I also started writing fan fiction. So I was like improving my writing skills. I honestly like cringe now when I look back at it, but I also still cringe at my own creative writing skills. Anyway, I was a powerhouse. I made so many friends and I ended up printing out like this like nice messages from fans and I put them in a scrapbook and I handed it at their concert. And I always wonder what happened to that. Like what did One Direction, all the other musicians out there with like a huge following, what do they do with all that stuff that like people actually like bring into concerts? Like do they just have like this massive part on their tour buses just fans merchandise for them? Because like they don't do unboxings on YouTube, so we never really get to know. Anyway, it's always bugged me, but point is I was dedicated. Those nights staying up to like 1am queuing posts, creating HTML themes and chatting to fellow fans are like very precious to me. It's what kickstarted the path I'm on now. It showed me the power of social media and I'm forever grateful to those five boys who don't know I exist, who gave me a muse to evolve my skills and discover my career path. So whatever happened to that blog? Well, Zane left, year 11 and 12 took over and it just got abandoned. Since 2015, I haven't posted. It does make me a little bit sad, but you know what? I'm thinking about getting back on it. Rebrand it for the podcast, maybe. It'll still have One Direction things for sure, though. But here's a challenge. See if you can use your stalking skills to find it. I'm going to be revisiting next week to see how I feel about rekindling the Tumblr fangirl inside me there. Now, back to one of the big boys, Facebook. Instead of talking about how to become an influencer as an individual, I wanted to dive into being a brand on Facebook, aka a page. I've enlisted the help from Ali from Bad Dates of Melbourne, hands down my favourite page on Facebook, to give me some insights. For those who don't know what the page is, it's where people share their dating stories in Melbourne. We have an interesting dating crowd here, so naturally you see the unexpected engagement stories, the catfishing stories, the horror stories, the ones where like they shoot in your bed and they just like leave. It's like honestly pretty much a zoo out there dating wise. But the concept to share these stories isn't new. People have been writing into magazines like Dolly for years. But the way Ali runs the page is truly unique. She thought about the concept of sharing dating stories for a long time after her dating blog. Well, quote, to say it was a flop was an understatement. It wasn't until she was on the phone to a Tinder date who, upon hearing these wild stories, suggested to her to write a book. But she contested, um, they're a little bit more bite-sized content, better for social media. And then she immediately hung up the phone and started the page. The first tip she has about succeeding on Facebook is just literally do it. Don't wait until it's perfect. Just press go, be confident and accept your mistakes. I'll agree with that advice because that's exactly how I started this podcast. Once you've started your page, how do you get your big break? Well, Ali got hers by being featured in the Herald Sun. Being in the traditional media gave the page legitimacy. Or you could go down the road of writing your own stories on a related topic for the page or freelancing and linking the page. Ali finds this is a great way to pick up followers from across the world. Another way I suggest doing it is cross-promotion, which I'm looking into doing with some similar podcasts. If you've got a like-minded audience and you research the other page, it's really a win-win for both parties. Or I find that out of all the platforms that I've used paid advertising on, Facebook gets the best results. So if you've got a bit of cash, you only need to pay, I'd say, like $15 to like boost a well-performing post and just see how it goes. Try it out. So let's say your page has a bit of traction now. There's one post that's gone viral, the media outlets want an interview. Do you reveal who you are? 
Well, Ali started off as anonymous, but eventually she thought that she shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed of her dating life and took the plunge. Full name photo was now attached to the page. Like the Instagram privacy issue, you got to decide if you're going to link your identity to the page early on. To help make those decisions, here's some quick pros and cons from Ali. First, let's go with some cons. One, your private life is up for discussion by thousands of people and some will be very critical. Two, don't read the comments. Don't reply to trolls. Three, it can take a toll on your social life with all the posting and replying to messages. And four, when you make mistakes, everyone can see them, which can be very stressful. But now on to some pros. Number one, the impact of your page can make it all worth it when you see how many are a fan of it and also how many are a fan of you. Two, having a support network of people who know you is very rewarding. Ali frequently has people reference like her favorite foods. It's anything fried if you want to know. And like dating history in their messages and comments. Three, career opportunities will follow. Ali has had her work published in major publications and been on radio, TV and offered new writing opportunities as a result of the page. This could lead to having a flexible work schedule. Overall, she says the negatives that come with being a public person are heavily outweighed by all the positives and that she would not recommend working as an influencer to anyone who wants to fly under the radar. Question time. This section is going to be packed because instead of me receiving question, I want to pose one to the influencers. And that question was, how do you measure the pressure to post your life 24-7? This question stems from my studies. Yes, I am finally mentioning some theory. Last year, we had a man called Jonathan Mavridis come in and present his findings in the micro-celebrity community. I'd say micro-celebrity is a synonym for influencer at this point, as it means online performance, which involves creating and maintaining an online identity that resembles a branded good in order to gain status online. Their origins can be split into two categories, systematic and diffuse. Systematic is when there is a firm transition where they become a brand ambassador in the mainstream media, whereas Diffuse is more of an organic accumulation of attention with little interest in financial benefit. But he wanted to know more and interviewed these micro-celebrities in 2018. However, it's like a high school clique. You can't get in if you're not popular. AKA, there is a very high level access to a specific cohort of micro-celebrities in which has not been easy to gain from many academic researchers. Hence, this man became an influencer to gain access. One of us, one of us. He wanted to prove that being a micro-celebrity has a deeper level of emotional labour involved than just posting pretty pictures. And that he did prove in his findings. It was revealed that all micro-celebrities, so every single one, and 89% of non-micro-celebrities have felt pressure, stress or anxiety over how their profile looks or something they've posted. This statistic heavily relates to a girl named Essina O'Neill, She was a young influencer who sacrificed her 600k Insta following and brand deals in order to tell the truth about her perfect life. She did this through dramatically editing the captions of each photo to reveal the manipulation, mundanity and insecurity behind them. Her comment, I just want younger girls to know this isn't candid life, directly corresponds to the discovery that Mavridis found, which was 489 out of 504 micro-celebrities believe that Instagram encourages young people to strive for fame. That's an overwhelming majority, nearly all. And Instagram has become accountable for this, with their first step of removing likes in certain countries like Australia. When the transition happened, at Amelia Mastrap was at first disheartened and actually stopped posting for a while. At Caitlin Robinson found her engagement, as in likes and comments, as well as reach, significantly dropped. Her engagement went down a hell of a lot since it happened. 
she received a lot less emails from brands in terms of collabs and sponsorships. She would usually receive about one to two emails per day from different brands, whereas over the last two months alone without the likes, she has probably received a total of five or six. However, over time, both of them found that it was beneficial. They said that they found themselves not frequently checking up with how many likes they got and saw the freedom in not feeling pressure to get a certain amount of likes. And at Caitlin Robertson is actually posting content now that she enjoys rather than just like posting content that she knows will get a bunch of likes. What we can conduct from Essa O'Neill's confessions, Mavridis' research and Instagram's removal of likes is just how labour-intensive these Insta-worthy lives can be and the lengths micro-celebrities go to hide this fact. One of the reasons they hide it is because taking a break for their mental health or expressing concern over overexhaustion could come across as being ungrateful. Mackenzie from At Currently Loving Blog has a very clear way of discussing this contrast. Honestly, for me, I think I have a love-hate relationship with this aspect of social media. Obviously, given that I love the opportunity to inspire and to connect with people, sharing more aspects of my life allows me more ability to do this. So it's, it's a great thing in many ways. But then I suppose there are times when I do wish that I could put my phone away or uh, sometimes I even get overwhelmed by messages. And as much as that is lovely and the most special thing, and I would never take that for granted at the same time, it is sometimes just a lot to keep up with on top of day-to-day life. But I wanted to dive deeper into how influencers cope with this pressure. At Renee Cara has a really nice metaphor for it. She goes, I'd compare the feeling to that pair of shoes you brought that are size too small, but you brought them anyway because they're cute and make your legs look good. Then she continued to say that the pressure to post is always present, even if it's something like as simple as pouring a cup of tea or walking through the park on my way to an eyebrow appointment. As a way to manage this, at Isabella Linden suggests that time management and being organized is key, while at Anisa Alice recommends setting boundaries of enjoying the moment versus Instagramming the moment. In my perspective, it's a very like pics or it didn't happen lifestyle. And when those pics aren't perfect, at elegance of she is afraid of getting judged. But knowing that she inspires people like myself and that she loves what she does gets her through it. And that's the end of the third episode. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and give me a follow on Spotify. Our insight is just beginning to flourish, like a little flower of like memes and selfies. So be sure to check that out. Thanks for listening via podcast or via Spoon Radio in Australia at Swinburne University. Next week, I'm dissecting the origins of social media fads, why we create memes and trying out brand new social platforms. So if you think the mainstream platforms are saturated with influencers, you could try and make a big on an up-and-coming platform. Be sure to listen in next week. I find this podcast is a cool one to pop on in the car. So if I do a survey of all the police officers in the world next week, I want at least 3% of them to say they randomly pulled someone over and they had this banging through the speakers. Is that narcissistic? I don't know. Don't at me, guys. Don't at me, guys.